0: okay so in this rather brief session we have together if i try to try to get a sense of the whole picture then naturally the details get a little bit sparse (laughs) you know so sometimes i'm focusing on a particular detail and the detail i'm generally focusing on because you can much more readily assess it in yourself is your own body and mind particularly your own embodiment embodied mind because that's the that's what you can actually witness and give direct input to bigger pictures of the nature of the world and reality is subject to views opinions media statistics reports history all of which are very variable um, um but from this what the buddha is saying directly accessible here and now um, yeah. And from within this embodied condition, what can we learn? How can we uh, establish a healthy model, you know, a holistic model, that there may be the implications that can be expanded? And I think the, um, the phrase I'd like, to, a couple of phrases I'd like to use is one, first is it's the wholeness that does the work and mostly we tend to operate from a fragment. It's the wholeness that does the work. Mm-hmm. And But finding wholeness, entering the wholeness, is the, is the topic for the, the individual, the fragment. <laughs> Once one recognizes that uh, you know, even in one's own embodiment, often there's a fragment which is trying to do the work, the fragment called me, or my thinking mind, you know, or an attitude or an opinion. Not really straddling the whole embodied experience because it doesn't actually fit the models I have in my concept of what things are and what they should be. Yeah. But my suggestion is it's the wholeness that does the work. And if we even just start to question what we mean by why I say embodiment rather than the body. Because the body, the way that most of us experience it, is this thing we see with our eyes. Definitely material form, definitely got outlines. There it is, uh, see it, Yeah. Can think about it. I can name it, give it a name, identity, gender, size, weight, and so forth. That's the body. So Yeah, that's one of the bodies. And telling tellingly enough the Buddha said when I talk about mindfulness of breathing this is a body among the bodies so we, there are more than one of them You have the visual body you have your conceptual body the idea you have of your body yeah. and you also have uh, when you get into the, the, the sensate experience and really feel that as it is it's a rather different picture altogether it's, you know some some areas of sensation are quite sensitive know they may be only small parts of your body like your lips or your thumbs are much probably got more activity and sensation in them than the middle of your back mm-hmm. so we go to the say what's the whole body well you we say it's a pretty it's a lot of different things yeah and uh what can cover all that mm-hmm. a receptivity to all of it mm-hmm. And I suggest that if you cultivate that receptivity, looking for where do things come into harmony so the wholeness is harmonious rather than discordant fragments, you're going to find that what starts to come to the fore is the fundamental life of the body. You know, all of it, painful, pleasant, short, tall, pretty, old, worn out, whatever, it's alive. And it's such a simple statement, what what is live mean? It means a certain vitality and sensitivity and intelligence is there. If you begin to tune into that receptively, you'll find some, some other kind of manifestation. I've called it the energy body, but that's another phrase. Uh, all phrases are subject to misinterpretation, also subject to the errors of language but you experience something that's alive, sentient, vibrant, sensitive, and, and fluid. Mm-hmm. So if your meditation goes that way, you're going to find that your, your sense of your body begins to shift to something much more like a, a rather boundless or radiant fluid energy system that's quite light and happy. Mm-hmm. And that's through withdrawing. So you've got to let go and withdraw the other models as they become clanky or redundant. Don't quite get the wholeness. Because the other aspect of the embodiment is your heart and mind. So they're not separate from that. So as you're cultivating, what's going to happen is, if you're quoting incorrectly, the general quality of receptivity and sensitivity of your heart and the steadiness of your focal of your mind those operating together will actually mirror and guide mutually guide the body so the energy of the body will begin to moderate your own mental impatience or conceptualization into something much more malleable and open the qualities of the more open malleable mind begin to be picked up by the body So you get this unification experience as the two mirror each other and come together and we get an experience called Samadhi where the body, mental factors and bodily factors are pretty much co-arising and it's a happy, light state. Uh, And in that, there's no, you can't really get an identity around it. I mean, you can step out of it and think, oh, I am a radiant being, if you like. (laughs) Actually, it sounds such such a stupid thing to say. <laughs> because, like, well, who isn't? <laughs> Everything is radiant if you if you tune into it properly. And so we look at, you know, and so what what happened? What did we do? We began to drop some of our our conceptual models, some of our perhaps uncertainty of losing control, and met some of the. Re- residual difficulties of discomfort and imbalance and drowsiness and called the hindrances, yeah, that territory you have got to cross through, and you don't cross through it through bashing things out, you you breathe through the hindrances, you bring your vitality into the hindrances and they clean out these stagnant or restless forms. And this is pretty much standard meditation practice, isn't it? Yeah, until so there's a sense of, oh, it seems to be settled so there's a cooperative quality looking for the whole where mental factors bodily factors harmonize and then you're in this what's called the middle land is is the fine material so as I said you know you have you understand the material world as kind of rocks, trees, flesh that's lumpy stuff and then we've got thoughts and ideas there so not lumpy stuff, you know, the are immaterial. But in a Buddhist understanding, you have the, between those, which actually permeates both of them, you have the fine material, which is energy, which is not exactly lump, lumps and rocks, but it's certainly palpable, fluid, yeah, and rhythmic and sentient. And this is where your intelligence is, your fundamental born intelligence, before you could think and before you could walk, Before you could pick up a cup, you were intelligent. Before you could add two and two, you were intelligent. You had life intelligence. And that's in this fine energetic realm or fine material realm or energetic realm. And then there you find a sense of harmony. So it's actually both the wholeness and it's also the origin, the source of how this differentiation arises Now, we're also, how do I get the wholeness with another person? well i got my opinions and he's got his opinions, and she doesn't do that on time, and I'm always, you know, and she thinks about this about me, then right, well this is, we can start to find out who's better and who's got it right, this is not going anywhere useful, is it? <laughs> okay, where's the wholeness in this? Uh, we're different yeah, right, true, yep we find that difficult, yep, true <laughs> we like to not find it difficult, yep, true <laughs> Uh, where's our common ground? Uh, about that, and negotiate. And, and can we both stand there for a while, feel the happiness and the joy of wholeness? And then maybe our differences become less important to us. It's okay, how are you doing? that's okay. Well, yeah, right. You know, I mean, I'm doing a very, very short model. Now, the other could that extend you know to to society it's a big task but maybe micro societies communities have certainly been the fundamental unit of uh, certainly of buddhism is community kalyanamita is the simplest expression of that spiritual friendship two three four groups five seven ten micro groups joining bigger groups sort of like like semi autonomous republics that form confederacies, something like that. In Buddhist. That's what Sangha operates as, Buddhist monastic Sangha, anyway, in that way. And it rocks along with its defilements and upsets and schisms and fighting. And so I just, okay. <laughs> you know—you can return to the fundament and start again. And the uh, Faudrey described the process of how you do that. Um, said so said okay when you've got into these disputes right and everybody's right in a dispute side a is right and side b is right okay buddha says well you guys i'm getting out of here when you're ready to talk come see me <laughs> so when they're fighting with each other eventually people are getting fed up not giving him any more food because they don't like monks being in dispute the monks go oh we to go and see the buddha So they go to see the Buddha and he says, okay, give everybody lodgings, equal lodgings, equal space, everybody all together, right? And sharing the same ground, same place. Okay, so we can sit here, absorbing that. (laughs) And we're in conflict, we don't like it. Now the procedure for dealing with that is, don't go to the point of the dispute. Go to the fact of dissension, not the topic you dissented over. And so you go to that. Okay, party A. Do you see anything in your behavior that you now regret? Well, actually, we did say a few harsh words. I'm you know, sorry about that. We did sort of lose our temper a bit. i like to apologize for being a bit loudmouthed. And, you know, we said a few wrong things there. Thank you. And party B. Well actually we weren't exactly spotless. We kind of blew our tops a bit and lost lost it and got annoyed. Sorry about that forgiveness. Everybody forgives each other for that. Okay, now we're settled, right? Everybody's recognised, made forgiven, made mistakes, entered common ground. And then look back at the dispute, the point of the dispute. Oh oh yeah, I made a mistake there. Sorry about that. End of conflict. <laughs> Let's do some chanting together. They chant, they start chanting together. <laughs> and there's an account of this written down in the scriptures of this, this bust up that went on and how they resolved it. yeah So go to the whole, the wholeness. And it's interesting that in a model like that, and it's still done uh, in, in Sangha circles, the unifying, the unifying, we all just chant together. And I was noticing this, somebody mentioned it, uh, a friend of mine who, who lives in Peru, and she went to some of these Native American, South American get togethers where they, you know, obviously there's a lot of turmoil there. People are trying to get their land back from these European, originally colonial governments and they're, you know, taking their land and trying to get it back. And it's pretty feisty, angry people, and da 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 da. And there's a conference going on and people are getting uh, and then at a certain point, and there's the kind of people there who just sort of sit there, checking out the vibe. Mm. They don't, they don't do it at all. But, uh, I think it's time to sing. Let's just sing together. We <laughs> dance, <laughs> to dance around, singing. Okay, now we've returned. I've got the energy down again. I've got the energy to flow nicely amongst us. It's getting a bit, right? And now we can go back to talking about the topics. You deal with the energy first, you get the energy to level. And often you can do that through ritual means, let's dance together, let's sing together, let's chant together, let's just be together. Yeah. Can you imagine, wouldn't it be great, you know, if the world leaders, you know, Joe Biden, Vladimir Putin, and so on and so on, just said, let's go and dance together. <laughs> Get, get Xi Jinping and, you know, everybody just come to get and sing. Anything would do. Instead of sitting around doing diplomatic jiggery-pokery and saber rattling each other, you know, why not? Want to give it a throw? So you go to the wholeness. So you do that in your own body, embodied mind. he says, could that model, is it worth trying it? Because unfortunately, it doesn't get tried very often, does it? It tends to be who's right and who's strongest and who's got the most oomph to push things through. Now, to to move on, but I've given you some more quotes to look at. I think the example of the Emperor Shoka, which I think is pretty, pretty amazing. It's these rock edicts. He literally carved in stone, literally had carved in stone the principles of Dhamma. By which he wanted to have his his vast territory supervised and his deep commitment to that. And it's quite touching. And you think, well, this is pretty good as a state, as a as a mission statement. To be ruled by Dhamma uh, rather than ruled by a king. The king stands under the Dhamma, and the Dhamma has to cover everybody. And it's very simple, you know. Much kindness, peace, harmony. No killing you know very simple so although he was a buddhist technically you don't see anything about buddhism in his edict it's always about dhamma is something more universal than that rather splendid mm-hmm. other other point i'd like to touch in on mm. yeah you know we tend to think of government as the highest but actually my understanding is that human government should stand under something bigger because humans tend to be a fragment of of what we're trying to govern you know so okay equal rights for the, you know everybody's got equal rights well what about the badgers and the weasels did they get equal rights huh? what about the rivers did they get equal rights You call it a democracy. What about all these other creatures who who you are controlling? Did they get any say in it? Did the earth get any say in it? And you call it democracy. Uh, Who's going to speak for that that can't speak? So, you know, what's the principle that can cover it? The principle is the wholeness. The wholeness of what we're in has to be that which guides us. And as we wake a little bit more, We realize that means not, every, you know, that which embraces all the intelligences that are there and all these other life forms are there and all the different kinds of people that are there some we don't like at all but we still, they're there, you know <laughs> and so we're not going to agree with their views but we can agree with their, we can recognize that they're trying to find ground you know, they're trying to find ground And so they've got a view they're finding ground. on. if we could find better ground, like in the case of the monastic dispute, if you could find another ground that's bigger, they wouldn't hold their views so strongly. Can we welcome? Can we welcome those we find conflict with, disagreement with, at the level of, yeah, just like me. Now the other thing I'd like to bring to mind is that that, um, one feature of human beings, human citta, is we're incredible, we're magic rather magical creatures we can be angels in the morning and demons in the evening we can be buddhas on retreat, sublime, sweet loving buddhas and we can be Fiendish <laughs> when we go home <laughs> or get stuck in the traffic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we morph a lot, <laughs> we change a lot, but we also we do that because we are great mirrors. A mm. chitta is an incredible mirror; like it's not even mirror is not the right word for it. It's like a lake that resonates and reflects everything that appears in it so this is why, why we get so impacted because we feel and sense and are affected by everything we come into contact with and if the prevailing theme keeps impressing itself on the chitta, then it starts to shape itself in that way this is sort of tricky isn't it are the prevailing themes that are being impressed upon the chitta, upon the heart check it out isn't that a source of some reflection what you give attention to and the need to actually give your attention to let your chitta drink in phenomena manifestations that remind you of wholeness and um, balance rather than you know, we, we, like I've got nothing, I'm talking about mechanisms, it's some foul thing. Devices and machines are making this possible. They're excellent to an extent. And there's a price, both in terms of how these machines got created and also how we become machine-like as we, as we spend huge amounts of time plugged into them and their systems. We become machine. We believe that time clicks away in minutes and seconds. Because some clock says it does. I don't think it does. My time speeds up and slows down. It slows down when I'm quiet, speeds up when I'm busy. It doesn't follow clocks at all. My time, my embodied time, it's a very fluid medium. And if I trust the reality of my embodiment, I say, well, this clock time stuff is useful, and why is it useful? Because it gets everybody to one place on time for what purpose, functioning. Often it's created in order to get people systematized into structures. And that's part of the whole mechanistic process. You know, take that which is organic and boundless and put it into some Structured box. We have to be very careful of that. That it is a box rather than a reality, because after a while, I'm not saying these things have any usefulness, but we end up experiencing ourselves as a series of boxes in that same way. Like I don't know if you've ever been. I mean, I was on retreat some time back, and it was like way out, and like I was just nothing, nothing to do, nothing to do all day, and I'm wondering. What time is it? What time How long have i been here? What time is it? What do you mean, what time is it? Well, I'm about some late. There's nothing to go to. It's a restless feeling of looking for certainty in, in some machine, some device to tell me where I was and what time I was, what time it's at. You're here. <laughs> but whereabouts is it? It's, you're here. What time is it? It doesn't matter. You know, you get machinized. Can you get through a day without looking at a clock? Or switching fishing on your phone? So how you morph with it. And so the fundamental Buddhist well, time of the Buddha particularly, was go to the go to the forest. Go to nature. Because that's the closest thing you can this thing, this body thing, is an aspect of that that thing. You know, they look different on the outside, but then they're living systems. Living Organic Intelligent Systems, that's your home. That's where you go to get your real education. Yeah. So, big emphasis and training, you know, still is in wherever we can find is, go to the forest, go to the trees, go to the woods. Because there you can learn, if you need, so what your attention does, what your attention does and what your what your impulses do when you're in that situation is you for, to live in a forest, you're going to have a pretty wide focus and be receptive, particularly say in an Indian forest. Animals, wild animals, thieves, who knows? So got keep that wide focus and receptive, and listen a lot. That's your basic ground state of awareness is that open you don't focus on any detail because if you focus on that sight too intensely you might not hear the tiger who's creeping up behind you but if you're listening all the time you might not notice where you're walking so it's everything is open but nothing is absorbed into and in that open state the citta, the heart, remains acutely attuned to any signals that's going on. It's attuned, and it's attuned, and that attunement affects the body. The body becomes quite bright and light. Yeah. This is basic model. For this, so this is where you meditate. You start with that. That's your that's your base model for meditation. Go so sit. Here are roots of trees. Here are lonely places. Jati way, absorb. Yeah. Sit at the root of the tree with spine upright. Go into that, and just notice the experience of the vitality moving through you with the breath channel. And then you find your inner security. That brings your op- you're plugging into the your aspect of the life force as it runs through this body. So you really are, are living in a touching into the to the fundamental theme of the place you're in, mm. and now you're feeling it here, and as you moderate it here, you calm, and the sense of agitation or fear begins to dissolve. Mm. so this is basic meditation this is very different from the model we might have from the Say the more mechanistic, using simple word, where it's always a visual model. So you look at a particular point and try to get straightened up, mm-hmm. and shut other things out, focus on that point. Um, different, different experience, isn't it? Then the receptivity—we're certainly sensing. This feels pressure. This feels unbalanced. It's not it's not just a blank state, it's open, but you're aware of very potent properties of feeling spinning out, stressing out, slacking down, drifting off, and you're using that current of life energy and that's what steadies as you attend to it, as it steadies through the breathing, everything else comes in around it because the body is attu- obviously <laughs> attuned to that life energy. And so you look into Buddha's teachings, he's saying you get your mind into the receptive state, you get your body straightened and calmed down, your mind enters that, it feels happy, you're happy. That's called concentration and from there you can begin to calmly review this is this, this is what's happening this is the nature of all these conditions so from that arises the possibility of the wisdom aspect to arise out out of this sacred connectivity mm, into something that's transcendent Mm. the sacred connectivity because it's not connectivity like I'm hugging a tree or I'm, you know, it's about touching into where the common ground is and our common ground obviously is our life force and our humanity and as you touch into that on an embodied level the mirroring of the cittas, it picks that up picks that up Comes to its common ground, which is it's open, it's spacious, it's loving, it's sympathetic. The open heart. It doesn't dominate. It's loving, it's open, it's sympathetic. And as you feel your problems and anxieties being held in that, then it can be heard some will dissolve, some will require just a little bit of what's needed here careful handling and in a negotiation that very much models the way we should or encouraged the way to behave in the world self and others Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so in this paradigm we find the wholeness from the wholeness comes some stability because we've, we've landed, we've touched ground from the stability we begin to perhaps acknowledge some of the dissonances and we widen our hearts let the heart widen over it, over those di- dissonances and see how it can operate give it some time and trust to bring forth its resources it's so often the case we meddle a lot we tweak and fiddle a lot because we have little tolerance (laughs) oh we just look at things very simple, it's something wrong with my body no it's not the body, it's the whole picture that you have to return to and sometimes it's accepting the fact that your bodies are painful painful body can also be a tremendous uh, encouragement for compassion and gentleness and resolution and maybe that's what we need to learn rather than getting rid of bits I don't want so just offering this for your reflection at this time